Well, it's good to see those of you that were able to be with us tonight as we're going to pick up in our Revelation study tonight. Um, this is the first time we've been in back in the book of Revelation since the new year. Um, my intentions were to go here last Sunday night, but we had to uh, step back and deal with what I titled Common Objections to Unconditional Election Explained. And so we, we went there. But tonight we're getting back on path and we'll be in the river of the flow of the book of the Revelation until we have to take another detour for whatever reason. But if you've got your copy of the Word of God tonight, I invite you to open it again to Revelation chapter 14. And I want to read uh, verses 6 through 11. Um, I am a little old school in that I usually like to read from my actual Bible but I am a little absent-minded, and I left it at home, so I'm going to be reading from my tablet. Yay me. <laughs> and I invite you, if you would like, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 6, the text says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second Followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. I remind you, God is not absent from hell. He is there. He rules. He's there in His justice. Okay? It is an absence from the mercy of God and the love of God. But God is omnipresent and there is no place that God is not. But anyway, I digress. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. You may be seated. This is God's holy word. Um, those of you that like order and chronology, um, something that you don't consistently get in the book of Revelation, um, this text, this passage here, um, if you take a premillennial view of the end times, this is falling at the somewhere between the 6th 
and the seventh trumpet that's going to blow. And, of course, this is the ending of the seventh seal. Um, remember the seventh seal scroll that the lamb, when only the lamb was worthy to take and break, it seals. And the, when the sixth seal was broken, the day of the Lord had begun. And we've had all these judgments. We've looked at a lot of different things. We've had some some parenthetical interludes in the book of Revelation if we've been going through that. But chronologically, if that chronology is what you're, you're wanting to hold on to, that's where we are. Now let's pray together before we dive into this text tonight. Father God, Lord, we come to um, a very difficult book. One, Father, that Your Holy Spirit has shown me is not so much about chronology as it is about the message conveyed. And Lord, I pray that we don't miss the message. That Father, in all of our little theological tents that we hide under and behind, I pray that in all of our digging our trenches and camping out where we think we should be, that we don't miss the message of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That we don't miss the glory of that truth, of that glorious appearing that the book of the Revelation is racing toward and pointing toward, Lord. Father, help us to approach this book with great humility. Help us to approach this book with um, a heart that is ready to receive and I pray that you will help us to approach it with open ears and open eyes so give us ears to hear and eyes to see Lord that we might see what the Spirit is saying to the churches Father it is in Jesus name that I pray Amen and Amen well the last time that we were together, we had just, we were together in the book of Revelation. Let me clarify that. Um, we had just entered into this section and we surveyed Angel One. To me, that sounds like some sort of um, military code. This is Project Angel One. I mean, but we saw Angel One. All right, and we, we looked at Angel 1 and, and we saw that even though this, this messenger, because these angel, angels are messengers, they have messages that they are heralding to the world and they are saying, they are communicating message. That message, even though he had a, a, we find the word gospel there, he was proclaiming a message that was not so much redemptive, but it was damning. You remember? We looked at that. We saw that. It was one that was being spoken to blind and to harden hearts rather than rescue lost people who dwelt on the earth at that time. It was not, it was not a message to be received that people would be redeemed, but it was a message that was declared with the purpose of being rejected. Wow. Wow. Now you say that seems cold, but I tell you there is nothing that God does that is not perfect, that is not right, that is not good. 
that does not have a good, loving, God-glorifying purpose behind it. Always. Okay. Matter of fact, I told you that the, the ministry of the angel that was making, an angel one, it was sort of, to me, it was, it was in the same pattern of Isaiah's ministry. You remember Isaiah? We, we, I showed you the connection there in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was sent to, he was commissioned to declare a message that was not going to be well received, but it was going to declare it and these people would be, what? They would be ever seeing but never perceiving and their hearts would become all the more calloused and hard at the hearing of the truth and so it is the same thing. It is the same thing here. We saw that. I talked about that. I wanted you to see that. Well, the flow of our text seems to clarify what I was saying about angel one because angel two, the message of angel two, which by the way, it's my title, angel two tonight. Uh, the message of angel two implies the rejection of the first angel's message. If the lost, unregenerate masses of humanity that would hear the first angel's message, if they had responded with repentance, then the second angel would not have to say the message that he is communicating. But he is having to say what he is having to say. You see, because lost people, unregenerate people will reject the call to worship God and they will gladly continue to worship the Antichrist. The second angel, it's almost as if verse 8, almost as if his message is like, it's almost as if he immediately begins to interrupt the message of the first angel and he is pronouncing a terrible judgment upon these stubborn People that refuse to repent. Judgment is being proclaimed in certain terms. There's no getting out of it. There's no pardon. There's no mercy here. This is, this is a done deal. This pronouncement of this judgment. Um, now, I, I want to consider... We won't linger here very long tonight with verse 8, but I, there are two main things that I want to consider, two main parts to verse 8. And the first one is this, for those of you that like to take notes, we see the right pronouncement. The right pronouncement being made. And what is being pronounced? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Secondly, we see the reason that it is pronounced. And that is, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the, of the passion of her sexual immorality, end quote. Now let's think about this right pronouncement. This pronouncement that was made. You see, following the world's rejection of Angel One's message, there is a clear judgment that is pronounced. Fallen, fallen, the text declares. That word, if you go to the original Greek text of the book of Revelation, that word is pipto. Pipto, pipto. It's a double 
pipto there, if you will. That word means, it doesn't mean, oh, I have fallen in the sense of I, I've stumbled. I, it's not I've fallen. It doesn't mean fallen in the sense of, um, oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. Let me hit my life alert so someone can come along and help me. It's not fallen. This word for fallen means this, fallen, fallen, pipto, pipto, in the sense of you are fallen and you are ruined. There ain't no getting up. This is, I have fallen, struck my head on the corner of the kitchen counter. My skull is cracked. I'm dead. I'm done. That, that is the implication of Pipto. And that word, and I know this doesn't, doesn't matter really to you, but it's, it's, it's in, in the Greek text, it's, it's, in, it's what we call an aorist indicative. And what that is usually referring to, you find a verb in the aorist indicative, it's referring to something that is a completed event in time. It is a, it is a done deal historical event. Well, here, let me tell you, that's significant here in verse 8 because what it's speaking of in verse 8 has not occurred yet hasn't happened yet. It's a judgment that's not happening until the seventh to right before the right, right beginning when the seventh trumpet is going to be blown. The ending of the seventh seal prior to the return of Christ, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet, yet it's in a tense of saying it's certain. There, there's no getting out of it. It's It's done. It, there is no escaping the wrath. Wow. There's no escaping the wrath that is coming upon Babylon here in this text. Now, the question we must ask in understanding this text is, what is Babylon? And why is judgment pronounced upon it? Well, I want you to understand, Babylon is more than a historical city in Scripture. Um, Babylon, is, in the book of Revelation in particular, is symbolic. It is symbolic. I mean, think about it. In the very text, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She, it refers to it as a she. She who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So we're, 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 we're referring to, we're sim, it is symbolic of something. It is symbolic of something. Now, we'll consider Babylon, the symbol of Babylon, in particular, Babylon the Great and what that, the significance of that when we eventually, in a few years, get to Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Okay, we'll deal with it in detail there. I'm not going to do that to, tonight. For tonight, I simply want to help us understand why this, there is a literal historical Babylon, but why it is singled out to symbolize this particular judgment in the book of Revelation. Um, Babylon, just in short, Babylon, in short, is representative of a, of, a, of a spirit, in a sense. It is representative of a, a, also a way of thinking, a philosophy. It represents 
the philosophy of this world, in particular the religious philosophy, the political philosophies, and the economic philosophies of this world. That it's Babylon, the spirit of Babylon is in operation now. It's been in operation since Genesis chapter 10, okay? Um, and it, the spirit of Antichrist carries along this, 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 uh, Philosophy and spirit that it that it that it's reflecting here, and it's it's it it it, it's, it the spirit of antichrist. Even though the antichrist personality or figure is not here, the spirit of antichrist has always been among us. Okay, and so that is what we are dealing with here: is this symbolism of a philosophy a. And a, the spirit that carries that philosophy about the religious, the political, the economic philosophies of the fallen world. Now, this spirit of Nimrod, if we wanted to really, if you want to go back to the specific issue or, or, or of Babylon, if you want to see where it came in, to, to, there was a connection there. You, you can go back to um, Nimrod. Okay, if you remember, Nimrod's the son of Cush. Um, he is the founder of Babel. You remember Babel from Genesis 10 and Genesis 11? You, you know that from elementary Sunday school. And, of course, that was about the building of the Tower of Babel. Well, in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 and 10, we were introduced to the descendants of a man named Cush. And, of course, one of the sons was, what I already mentioned, was Nimrod. And Nimrod founded the city of Babel. It was there that humanity rebelled against the Lord, attempted to build this tower, reaching up to heaven in Genesis chapter 11. This tower, it was a place that was really historically was dedicated to the worship of the zodiac, of, of the stars and the planets and heavenly bodies. And Babel which from where we get Babylon um, became one of the first centers of, of really false, idolatrous worship in this world with Nimrod being the leader behind it. I think that it's interesting that Nimrod, the name Nimrod himself, it means a mighty hunter. Um, you find that in Genesis 10, 9, that phrase mighty hunter has been interpreted by some, and I think it to be accurate, because of what Babylon the Great symbolizes, he's a mighty hunter of souls. In other words, many scholars believe that Nimrod was the father of a religious system that was designed to seduce men away and turn their hearts away from the truth and turn their hearts away from the one true God, Yahweh. Now, when they build their tower and they dedicate it it to the worship of idols and heavenly bodies. We know the story. God intervened. He confused their languages. But even though humanity was dispersed into a million different directions, the seeds of Babel, the symbol of Babylon, the Antichrist, the religious system, the system of false religion, if you will, 
continued and spread. It spread throughout the world and, and infected the hearts of men. The people left Babel and they carried their false doctrines with them all around the world. And, and it, 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 it was literally Babylon became symbolic of false religion. Well, it represents everything in this world that stands opposed to God. In the tribulation, it speaks of the economic and religious kingdom of the Antichrist. Now, MacArthur, whom I do not always agree with in his eschatology, makes a statement, noted this about um, Babylon. He says this, so, and I quote him, So, history goes full circle. All humanity was united in the first Babylon, and it will be reunited in the false religion and idolatry of the last Babylon. End quote. Wow. And so, religion, religion, false religion, False ways of thinking are symbolized under Babylon the Great. And here, and the church ought to rejoice, we see it pronounced, fallen, fallen, done, dead, is the sterile seeds of false, organized religion. Fallen, fallen is the system of Antichrist which rules the world. The time of your ruin has come. And then this judgment falls. No more shall God be misrepresented by the religious notions of men. The damning vice of religion will itself be damned. That's good. Do you realize the problems that religion causes in trying to fulfill the Great Commission? Do you realize that the spirit of Babylon the Great is strongly entrenched in the southern United States? We call this the Bible Belt. You know what it is? It is the epicenter of false religion in this country. Because everybody thinks they have a relationship with Jesus and everybody thinks that they're Christian in name only. And everybody has a twisted little view of the gospel rather than it being a gospel of grace by faith in Christ alone. It becomes something we do. And most people think they have to do something in order to be saved. You ask somebody if they're saved. Oh, I did that. Did what? You don't do salvation. Salvation is done by Christ. But I digress. Fallen, fallen will be the seeds of empty religion. And the true church can rejoice in that. Wow. Wow. So we see this right pronouncement. Now, notice the reason that it is pronounced. Why is it, you know, why after millennia 
Is this sure judgment being made here at this point in the timeline? Why is it? Why, why is it? I mean, why wasn't it judged way back where we saw it first beginning to spread? Why was it? Why didn't God just wipe it out? Well, the reason according to the text is this. She, that's Babylon, made all the nations. How many of the nations? All the nations. Those are not, by the way, those nations are not geopolitical entities. That word in the Greek is ethnos. We're talking about people groups, okay? That, in other words, she made all people groups of the earth. All people groups. This is all lost, unregenerate people groups on the planet drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And when that happened, God says, this, this is it. This is it. You see, religion has played the whore of seducing sinners away from all that is right and true, leading them away from the narrow road that leads to life and enticing them down the broad road that leads to destruction. Now this has always been so. This has always been a reality. It has always it, it, it touched many people's lives. But here at this point, we see behind the ecumenical miracles of that devilish duo of the Antichrist and the false prophet that all of the earth dwellers, all the masses of lost humanity are completely taken by Babylon, the great hook, line, and sinker. And because it has reached all, God now declares its final destruction. Your deception is done. You're as good as fallen and dead and that's reason for rejoicing when you think about that wow wow now you say what about this passion of her sexual immorality well again you see this often in revelation not always but often in the book of revelation sexual immorality is used in a symbolic sense the world became intoxicated with her, Babylon's spiritual prostitution. But God is about to decree the seventh angel to blow the seventh trumpet. And when that happens, no more. It's done. It's done. MacArthur notes concerning this verse, and I will quote him again. It pictures an orgy of rebellion, an orgy of idolatry, an orgy of animosity and hatred toward God. And the whole world will drink the wine of the passion of this spiritual defection from the true God, end quote. And because of that, my friend, God says, my glory will be robbed no more. The hour of your judgment has come. And God doesn't play. This is it for false religion. Now, I'm closing. But what are, when you think about the weight of a text like that, what, what is the spiritual application of that? What, what do you walk away 
from a text like that with? Well, when you are a part of the true church, you can walk away with reasons for rejoicing. The fact that religion will die. Dead, empty, misrepresenting God, false doctrine, damning religion will die is reasons for us to be rejoicing in the Lord. No more will somebody be hurt because of men's religion. You understand, religion is man-made. Christianity, true Christianity is not about the ritual. It's not about the religious ways. And man, True Christianity is about God's grace making a dead sinner alive and adopting you into the family of God in which you have a new relationship with the Father through the blood of the Lamb. Religion perverts that. Religion takes it and turns it all about what you do. Religion comes and it takes our relation to God and it turns God into some deity to be appeased. And so we build a ladder like Jacob trying to reach heaven when we never can. When true Christianity is about God and the gospel, He comes to us. Praise God. I couldn't reach God. You couldn't reach God. But when we were dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses, God of His own sovereign prerogative reaches down and makes us alive. Religion can't do that for you. Without the Spirit of grace, all you have is a bunch of... And you might have right theology. All you have is a bunch of dead orthodoxy. You're about as alive as a rock in the road. Now, second application we could walk away from a text like this is really not an application for the church, but it's this. It's a reminder to lost humanity. It's a reminder to lost humanity that God is merciful and God is slow to anger. Because listen, he could pronounce this judgment today. He could have pronounced this judgment way back in Genesis, but he didn't. He's pronouncing this judgment way down the corridors of time before the return of Christ. He's going to pronounce that judgment. And so he is slow to anger and he is a merciful God. And the message is like that that Jesus said when the tower of Siloam fell down and those people asked him, well, why did this happen to them? What, what, what did they do? What sin did they commit? And Jesus looked at him and said, unless you two repent, you will perish. So it's a reminder, repent today. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about, worry, worry about your own self and your own sin. Wow. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for the reality of truth. We thank you, Father, that we are not left to a theological guessing game. We are not left to a round table discussion in the opinions of men.
but that, Father, You have given us special revelation in the words of Your Scripture. Lord, may we cherish that. May we rightly divide that. And may that truth be planted deep within our hearts. Lord, it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.